started the series, in episode one, we talked about envy. Everyone say envy. And we talked about what envy is, why it's destructive, and what you can do about it. Last week, we talked about pride. Everyone say pride. What that is, how it's destructive, what you can do about it. Today, we're look at the third struggle that we all go through and what you can do about it. I want to turn to Luke chapter 12 this morning in your New Testament. Luke chapter 12, third book in your New Testament, second half of your Bible, Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to invite everyone to stand as we read the Word of God. You guys are awesome. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys to read the Word of God with me together as we get into the message this morning. Let's stand and let's also read in the big, loud voice, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Let's go. Let's do it together. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I don't know if you can tell from my voice today that I'm actually recovering from a slight illness this past week, and so my voice is a little raspy this morning, but I think that's probably appropriate given what we're talking about today, because today I want to talk to you about the flu. Everyone say the flu. And when I say the flu, I don't mean influenza. I don't mean, do you have a sore throat? Do you have a cough? Do you have a fever? Are you fatigued? Do you have a nasal issue today? Now, I'm not talking about influenza. I'm talking about another kind of flu. The flu I want to talk to you about is called affluenza. Affluenza. And what is affluenza? Well, affluenza is another kind of flu. It's a sickness that doesn't so much affect your physical condition as it affects your spiritual condition. And then it flows into the way you look at things like money and wealth and affluence. That's why I'm calling it affluenza. Today's message is entitled Affluenza, the flu called greed. Before you take your seats, would you turn your neighbor and with a smile on your face, can you ask them, do you have the flu? Do you have the flu? Please have your seats. And you can say, I hope I don't. I hope I don't. See, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, affluenza is actually an official word. I thought it was being creative talking about affluenza, but actually affluenza is a word you can find in dictionaries today. And this is how the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines affluenza. It defines affluenza as extreme materialism and consumerism associated with the pursuit of wealth and success and resulting in a life of chronic dissatisfaction, debt, overwork, stress, and impaired relationships. There's a biblical term for the word affluenza. It's greed. This is the third deadly sin we're talking about in this series called Take Me Higher. The deadly sin, the struggle called greed. When you look at verse 15 of Luke chapter 12, we just read just now, read verse 15 with me one more time. It says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of 
of greed. If you have your Bibles in front of you, you can underline those words, all kinds of greed. The fact is this, there are different kinds of greed. We can be greedy for power, we can be greedy for fame, we can be greedy for food, but since we are touching on power, fame, and food at other points in this series, today we're going to focus in on being greedy for money and material possessions. How do you know if you've got affluenza? How do you know if you struggle with greed? Say, you know, there's a pair of shoes that you've been eyeing for the longest time, and you really want to get those shoes. Do You don't need the shoes, but you'd really like to have those shoes. Or maybe it's a dress. You've got the eye on the dress, and you're like, should I say yes to the dress or no? And you're not really sure. Or maybe there's that car that you're eyeing right now, and you're like, oh, man, that would be such a nice car to get, and you're not really sure if you should get it. Maybe there's an expensive restaurant that you wanted to try. Maybe you want to take someone that you love to go to that restaurant. You don't absolutely need these things. You don't absolutely need the dress. You don't absolutely need the the car. You don't absolutely need to go to the restaurant. You'll survive without it. So for you to want to go and get those things, let me ask this question. Are you being greedy? Are you? Or for example, you know, a number of years ago, I was living in Toronto and a bunch of my friends and I, we decided to go eat at an all-you-can-eat buffet. And I remember as we're lining up, one of the guys in my group, they're like, aren't we being greedy by going to a buffet when there's millions of people starving around the world? And uh, we're like, oh, that's a good question. We never answered the question. We just went to the buffet. And so did he. He went to the buffet as well. Are we being greedy by doing that? Or say you're at the grocery store. You go to Save on Foods or you go to, you know, Price Smart. And the, the, the cashier, as they're, you know, checking out your stuff, they say, would you like to make a $2 donation to Children's Hospital today to help children in need? If you say, no, thank you, are you being greedy? Are you? Or say, I've got a friend who right now is really hoping that she can get a new car. She's been driving the same car, uh, which is kind of beat up and broken down right now for the best number of years. It's like a 16-year-old car. And you know, she, 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 she uses the car. It takes her from point A to point B. But she's like, you know, it'd be awesome if I could get maybe a car with, that's a bit newer. Maybe it's got you know, heated seats. Maybe it's got like, you know, a Bluetooth system so I can listen to my music. Let me ask you, is my friend being greedy by wanting a new car? Are you sure? Are you not sure? Well, let me tell you this. See, if you're not really sure how to answer that, let me talk to you today about greed. To understand what greed is, you first have to understand what greed is not. So why don't you write this down really quick. Two things that greed is not. Number one, having a lot of money is not necessarily greed. If you have a lot of money, that on its own does not tell you whether you're greedy or not. Just because someone is rich doesn't necessarily mean they're greedy. If being rich equaled being greedy, then you ought to ask yourself, why would God allow so many important figures in the Bible to have so much wealth? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Why would David become the king of Israel and have all this wealth at his disposal and God will call him a man after God's own heart and someone who served God's purpose in his generation when he never told him to take away the wealth, never told him to sell it off. He still gave him the wealth and said, you're a man after my heart. Why is that? It's because having a lot of money and being greedy are not necessarily the same thing. I'm going to put it to you today that being greedy is not a question of do you have money. It's a question of does money have you. It's not a question of do you have money. It's a question of does money have you. See, greed is more a condition of the heart than the condition of your bank account. If being greedy was equivalent to you having lots of money and you owning a whole bunch of things, then you know what? God is a hypocrite. Do you know why? It's because God owns it all. 
You know, the Psalms say the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If to own a lot equals being greedy, then God's the greediest of all because he has it all. But is God greedy? No, he's not. In fact, you will not find anyone who's more generous than God. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God is more generous than anyone else. He gives his best. In fact, he gives everything for people like us. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. What does it say? It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. God is a generous God. Turn to him and say, God is a generous God. And, and what that means then is because God is, you know, he's, he's almighty, he has it all, he owns it all, but he's not greedy. What does that tell you? Is that having a lot of money is not necessarily greed. Is that you can be rich and greedy, you can be rich and not greedy. You can be poor and greedy, you can be poor and not greedy. Because being greedy is more a condition of the heart than a condition of your bank account. That's the first clarification on greed. The second thing about greed you need to know is this, wanting more money or wanting to enjoy life is not necessarily greed. See, if you're working at a company and you're being underpaid by your boss, you wanting to get a higher salary is not necessarily you being greedy. It may just be you wanting to get paid what you deserve for the work that you put in. If you are someone who's a parent, you want to take better care of your kids by having you know, more money to use, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, that could be a great thing. You're being a great provider for your family. But well, JB, what about, my, what about the pair of shoes that's for me? Or what about, you know, that, that, that dress that's for me? Am I, you know, being, you know, greedy by wanting that? And see, here's the thing. Why don't you write this down? Greed usually has more to do with the general direction of your life and your financial habits than with any one isolated incident. Let me say that again. Greed usually has more to do with the general direction that you are living in and how you, by habit, deal with your finances every day than with any one isolated incident. And so, you know, God, he focuses not just on isolated incidents. He focuses on your whole life. And so for God, it's not so much, oh, you know, should I get the shoes? Should I not get the shoes? Should I get the car? Should I not get the car? God, he, look, he, he, he looks bigger than that. He, he doesn't just look at that one isolated purchase transaction and say, oh, that's being greedy or not. But he, he looks at the whole of your life. What is the direction of your life? Are you living for God's purposes or are you living for yourself? If you believe us, say amen. And so, for example, you look at Jesus. You know, there's one time when Jesus, he's in the temple in Jerusalem. He's watching people putting in their offerings. He finds this one poor old woman. He's, she's a widow, and she doesn't have very much in her name. But what she does is she gives what she has. She gives two small copper coins. And then all these other people who are much, much wealthier than her give much, much more than she does. And they give it. And you know what Jesus says? She says, the widow has given more than everyone else. And why is that? It's because for God, for Jesus, he doesn't just look at those two small copper coins. He looks at the whole life of this widow. He looks at the general direction of this widow, the habits of this widow, and he sees that, you know what, she's actually giving all that she has. And so for that, for for him, that offering is more precious than someone who's got a whole lot of cash and just maybe dumps a little bit of cash here for for the offering, and he's, yeah, here, take that. But the rest of his life, the direction is living for himself. God looks not just at the isolated instant, he looks at the direction of your life. If you believe that, say amen. And so is buying that new pair of shoes you being greedy? Uh, it depends. 
It depends. See, in part, it's a question of, do you need it? In part, it's a question of, how does this one purchase fit into the bigger picture of how you use money generally? If the direction of your life is about giving to others and being generous with what you have, you're like Mother Teresa, you're giving so much all the time, and you can afford it, and it's not going to break your bank, then I would say, yeah, go get the shoes. Go get the shoes. But if, if, if you have, if, if buying a pair of shoes is symptomatic of a bigger pattern in your life, we're just always about getting, always about accumulating stuff. And, you know, that pair of shoes is actually the hundredth pair of shoes that you will own. Then I will say, hey, maybe that's being greedy. The fact is this, the whole point of the sermon today is not for you to be able to point at others and go, oh, are you greedy or not? It's about for us to look at ourselves and go, is greed a problem for me? With that in mind, let me give you a couple definitions for greed this morning that I think are going to help you. Why don't you write this down? I'm going to go real quick. And so you want to, you might even want to take a picture of it because I'm going to go that fast. Number one for greed, a definition for greed. Greed is when I chase money and material possessions at the expense of doing what is right. Rather than talking about isolated incidents, what greed is is really when I'm chasing money and material possessions at the expense of doing what is right. Here's another one. You write this down or pick a picture of it. Greed is when I choose money and material possessions over living out God's purposes for my life. Greed is when I start to value money and possessions more than what God wants to do in and through my life. Greed is when I start to value money and possessions over doing the right thing. Now, my question for you this is this, is based on all this that we've talked about so far, are you greedy? Do you struggle with affluenza? Well, let me give you, if you're not really sure, some clues that you might struggle with greed or some symptoms of the sickness we're calling affluenza. And notice that this has less to do with isolated incidents, more to do with your day-to-day habits. And here we go. For each one of these, if it relates to you, why don't you give yourself a point? Number one, money is the number one way I measure success in life. Is that you? Is that whether it's your own success or it's other people's success, if that guy's got money, He's a success. And that's how you measure yourself. That's how you measure, you measure other people. And it's almost like it doesn't matter if that person's a jerk. It doesn't matter what else is going on in the person's life. As long as that person has got money, wow, he's such a big success. Yeah, you, you made it, man. You made it, girl. And, and that's, that's your measure for success. If that's you, give yourself a point. Clue number two is I'm a compulsive buyer. I keep spending on things that I want but don't need. Whether or not I've got the means to pay for them. It's just like that song. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. You're on, you know, online, you know, doing, you're on eBay or you're on, you know, you're on Amazon. You're like, I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. I want it. And, and, and that's basically the way you live your life is that you are just a compulsive buyer. You're always buying. Clue number three is I'm often stressed, worried, and burnt out thinking about money. And you will be, well, maybe that's just me being worried, JB. That's not necessarily greed. You're going to find this. Worry and greed often go hand in hand. You'll be amazed how much when Jesus is talking about greed, he talks about worry right after. When he talks about worry, he talks about greed right after. They're almost like twin struggles, twin sins. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number four, clue number four, I can't remember the last time I paid for someone else just because and with no strings attached. In other words, you can't remember the last time you treated someone to a meal. You can't remember the last time you maybe paid someone's bus ticket for them because maybe they were struggling with the change. They couldn't find it. That's another clue that maybe you struggle with greed is that you can't remember the last time you were generous 
with your money. That's clue number four. Clue number five, when someone on the street asks me for spare change, I tend to look the other way. Is that you? Is that you? You might be getting really good at it, like very, very cool looking, nonchalant. It doesn't, you don't even, don't even, don't even notice, but you notice, right? And, 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 and is that you? That's, if that's you, give yourself a point. Number six, and this one's just for Christians. If you're here, you're exploring Christianity, and you're just kind of trying to figure out Jesus and all that stuff, let me just talk to the Christians right now. Clue number six is I don't tithe. I don't tithe. What is tithing? Tithing is the whole idea of taking the first 10% of what you've received in terms of income and you give it to God. It's the idea that, you know, we want to give God thanks and show that he's first in our lives by first giving to him before we give to anyone else. 10%. Why 10%? Well, that's what a tithe is. Look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, 10% of everything you harvest is holy and belongs to me, whether it grows in your fields or on your fruit trees. In that tithe literally means a tenth. We're, we are to give a tenth of what we receive back to God as a way to say, God, you are first in my life. Look at Deuteronomy 14.23, which says it right there. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. And so it's a spiritual discipline. It's not just about, you know, giving the money to the church, but it's also, it's, it's, it's a form of worship. It's a form of kind of saying, God, I want to put you first in my life, and that's why I tithe. It's a bit of a step of faith. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. What does it say? It says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? Whoa. We'll stop right there. So God says, hey, there's a way that you can steal from me. You know how? Don't tithe. If you don't tithe, the Bible says you're stealing from God. Is that For God, that 10% is not a tip that maybe you can give him or not. That 10% belongs to him. Just like Leviticus 27 is saying, it belongs to God. And so when we don't give to God what we owe to him, then what we're doing is the Bible says we're actually stealing from God. Are you stealing from God but not tithing? Look at verse 10. It says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. See, what, you all of a sudden got really quiet. I wonder why. Well, the fact is this, is that when we talk about tithing, tithing is not simply a command from God, but it's also an invitation to test God. There is only one place in the Bible where we are encouraged to test God, and you know what it is? It's in the area of tithing. God says, test me in this, that if you tithe, see if I will not pour out so much blessing in your life that you won't have room enough for it. Amen. It's this idea that you can never outgive God, but you need to take that first step of faith and say, okay, I'm going to put God first in my life. I'm going to give him my first 10% and let's see what God does. And I can, tell, I can guarantee you, whenever you do that, God is going to give you everything that you need, often much, much more. But if you don't tithe, well, that may be a struggle, and that may be something where you struggle with greed. That's clue number six. What's clue number seven? Clue number seven is I don't offer to God anything above and beyond my tithe. This one is for Christians as well. Is that in addition to the tithe, which automatically belongs to God, God wants us to be people who respond to God's generosity with generosity. We respond to God's goodness by being good back. And what, we, what I mean by that is that, you know, your tithe is the 10% that you give to God first off. Your offering is whatever you give beyond the 10%. That's the difference between a tithe and an offering. And when God does something good in your life, the appropriate response, other than going, oh, praise God, or telling somebody about it, is you want to give an offering. And if you're someone who's, okay, I give my 10%, but the 90% is mine. 
you know, I give you the 10% God, but everything else is mine. It's mine. It's my precious. If that's you, if that's you, then maybe you struggle with greed as well. Is that you? Do you tithe, but you don't give your offerings? Well, if that's you, then you might struggle with greed as well. Clue number eight. What's clue number eight? My number one goal in life is to make money and live a comfortable life. Is that you? Is that you? Your number one goal in life is you want to be comfortable financially. You want to make money. And that's really all there is to life for you. If that's you, then I would put to you today that the Bible may say that you are greedy. Why? It's because making money now is your main goal, and it takes, it, it, it's almost like everything else in life takes a back seat. Your relationship with God, your relationship with people, maybe even your health, you kind of just bust your butt to get money, and even though your health is taking a toll on it, and you, you, even if it means compromising your integrity, you're like, you know, I just need to make money. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Finally, clue number nine. I'm willing to lie, cheat, or steal if it means I can have more money as long as I don't get caught. Is that you? Is that you? See, greed says I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything as long as I can make money. I don't care if it's legal as long as I don't get caught. I don't care if what I'm doing is ethical as long as I don't get caught. I don't care if people see me as a traitor as long as I don't get caught. I don't care what other people think as long as I don't get caught. And I also don't care what happens to my family as a result. I don't care what happens to my church life as a result. The fact is I'm just here to make money. If that's you, then I would put to you that you struggle with greed as well. These are nine clues. And you don't have to relate to all nine in order to struggle with greed. If you, if you, if you relate to even a few or even just two or one, then it could very well be that you struggle with greed. It could very well be we all struggle with greed. What are some of the problems that greed causes? Let's go through those really quick. What are some problems that result when greed is in our life? Number one, greed gives us a false sense of identity where we forget our real worth. See, greed has this way of messing with the way we see ourselves. We start to think that our value depends on how much money we have. That's what greed does to us. Greed makes us think our value depends on what kind of job we have, what house we live in, what neighborhood in town we live in, what car we drive. And then we start to judge our worth based on those standards. And we start to judge other people based on those same standards. But look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't confuse your worth with your wealth. Your worth and your wealth, they are not the same thing. Never put it another way, don't confuse your self-worth with your net worth. They're not the same thing. If you believe us, say amen. But see, greed messes with our identity, makes us think that our value depends on things like money and possessions when it doesn't. That's point number one or problem number one. Problem number two that rises from greed is this greed gives us a false sense of entitlement where it's all about me. It's all about me. See, see, greed gives us this false sense of ownership as if everything we have is ours to keep, it's ours to own, it's ours to use, it's ours to do whatever we care to do with it because it belongs to me. It's mine. And we can even take that mentality into things that we don't even own. We can even take that mentality into our relationships with people and with God, and it's all the same. My boots, my car, my wife, my God. It's like it's all the same my. And, and see, look, 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 look at Luke chapter 12, verse 17 to 18. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. See, what he's saying, he's like, this is what I'll do. He doesn't ask God, okay, God, what do you think I should do? He doesn't say, God, like, you've given me all this blessing. What do you want me to do with it? Instead, he just says, okay, what should I do with all my wealth, my barns, my crops, my goods, my, my, my. This guy's really into my. It's because greed has this way of messing with our sense of entitlement, where all of a sudden, because of greed, this man, this rich man, lost the sense that he is a steward of all that God has given him, and that actually all this good stuff he has in his life is actually ultimately belonging to God, and he is a manager of it, he's a steward of it, he's supposed to take good care of it, and then give an account to God. He doesn't think that way. Instead, greed makes him think, it's all about me. It's about what I own. It's about what I want. It's about what I want to do with my stuff. And see, that's what greed does. We start to go from I'm a trustee, I'm a steward, I'm a manager of all that God has given me, my time, my talents, because it all belongs to God anyways. It will go back to him anyways. So for the time being, for as long as I'm here on this earth, I'm a manager of it. I'm a steward of it. I'm a trustee of it. We go from that kind of mentality to it's all about me. It's mine. All of it is mine. And see, what does that do? It causes problems in our lives. We start to forget why we're here on this earth. Problem number three, greed causes us to act unjustly. Because of greed, we will sometimes be tempted to do things that really aren't right for the sake of simply getting what we want. We might sacrifice people. We might sacrifice friendships. We might sacrifice relationships. We might sacrifice our integrity. It's almost like anything goes for the sake of getting more. Look at Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 17. Read it with me, a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, But you, you have eyes only for greed and dishonesty. You murder the innocent, oppress the poor, and reign ruthlessly. See, whether it's on an individual basis or a family basis, a company, a nation, I think we can all think of examples where greed tended to cause people to do things that they probably shouldn't have done, both now in today's time and back in history. So many examples of how greed caused people to act unjustly and do things that weren't just unjust, but that hurt other people big time in the process. That's what greed does. It causes us to act unjustly. Problem number four, write this down. Greed makes us miserable. Greed makes us miserable. Greed promises so much but it delivers so little. Would you read Proverbs 15, 27? And you guys are doing a great job, but can you just, can you read 10 times louder and help me with my voice this morning? One, two, three, it says, a greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. See, for example, have you ever seen someone with a gambling addiction, which brought trouble to the family? Have you ever heard of that or seen that? We've counseled people through that before where because of a gambling addiction, because you know, they had this desire to, to make a quick buck and, and they, 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 they were going gambling all the time, that it caused not just pain for them, but pain for their family, pain for their household, pain for their loved ones, causing so much not just emotional stress, but of course financial stress as well. Greedy man brings trouble to his family. Here, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9, and 10. Read it with me in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not on a screen, but you can write this down. The end result of greed is always grief. The end result of greed is always grief. Grief promises happiness, but it makes us 
miserable. Oh, if you just get that car, you're going to be so happy. Oh, if you just get that bigger house, you're going to be so happy. It doesn't make you more happy. We think that by getting more, having more money, having more possessions, that somehow that's going to satisfy us, but it very rarely ever works that way. I know couples who have so much money at their disposal, they don't know what to do with it, but they are so unhappy. They're so unhappy in their marriage. They're unhappy with their family. And they just feel like no matter how much money they have, it doesn't really matter. It's because you were made for more than money. You were made for something much, much greater. If you believe that, say amen. You know, there's one author who writes this. He says, the more greedy, the more the greedy get, the more they want. And the more the greedy want, the more discontented they are with what they have. Greed promises so much but it delivers so little. And so if you can relate to any of these problems today, the fact is this, then what do we do when it comes to greed? What is the cure for affluenza? How do you overcome greed in your life? Let's talk about that today and end with that. So I'm going to give you three different ways that you can attack greed in your life, and you can start that by doing this right now. Number one, decide that you're going to worship God, not money. Decide that you're going to worship God, not money. See, how many of us know that greed is a form of idolatry? Is that when we get greedy, what we're doing is we're not just, you know, wanting stuff for ourselves, but actually what we're doing is we're allowing money to take the place of God in our lives. Look at Colossians 3, 5 to 6 with me. Read it with a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Do you get that? Greed is idolatry. It's you worshiping a false god called money. And you might not be necessarily physically bound down to money, going, oh, money, I love you. All I need is you. All I need is you, money. It's you, money. You're not doing that necessarily. But when you're putting money as the number one thing in your life, that is called idolatry. You're putting money in place of God. And look at verse 6. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 5. Read that with me in a big, loud voice. It says, For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In other words, if you have greed in your heart, if you struggle with greed, the Bible says you can't have much to do, in fact, anything to do with the kingdom of God. It's like this. It's that when we have greed in our heart, what's going on is we're looking for money to satisfy in ways that that, that money simply can't. That we're looking for money to satisfy in ways that only God can satisfy us. Because the fact is, nothing can take the place of God in your life. When you treat money and material possessions as if they're God, what's going to happen? You end up empty. You end up lost. You end up frustrated because money can't fill the God-sized hole in your heart or my heart. If you believe that, say amen. Could it be that the reason why you are so unhappy these days is because you've taken something or someone and you've put them in the place of God in your life and you're expecting that person to do something for you that only God can do. Maybe that something is money. Maybe that something is material possessions. Maybe that something is someone else in your life and you put them in the place of God and you're like, why don't you satisfy me? And you're so frustrated. It's because they were never meant to be God in your life. God was meant to be God in your life. And so instead of just frustrating yourself by worshiping money, instead decide today, I'm not going to worship money. I'm going to worship God. You start by putting God first. Amen.
Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 with me right now. What does it say? It says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying that. You can't serve both God and money. You're either going to worship God or you're going to worship money. You can't worship both at the same time. Which one are you worshiping today? And see, remember I told you the link between worry and greed? Here it is. Keep on looking at the very next verse. Verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. What does Jesus say? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Can you drop down to verse 31? Drop down to verse 31. Do we have that? Okay, read that with me in big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Just like we say here at Thrive, is when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds I said when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds? He adds everything we need. Where does that come from? That comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus' own words. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things that you need, money, clothes, whatever it is that you need, God is going to give it to you if you will just seek God's kingdom first. If you believe that, say amen. Here's a question for you today. What is one way that you need to stop worshiping and serving money and start worshiping and serving God? Maybe it's practically speaking in your business or the way you manage your finances. It's about trusting God and doing things God's way instead of doing things your way. Practically speaking, maybe it means I'm going to stop looking at money to define my worth because money can't define my worth. In fact, no amount of money could ever measure how valuable you are to God. If you want to look at how valuable you are and how much your value and worth are, you don't look at your bank account. You know where you look? You look at the cross where Jesus Christ died unconditionally for you and for me. The fact is this, is that when we had, were, so, were far away from God, when we had no way of reaching him, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay for all of our sins, including our greed, so that we could have a way back to God, so that we could be forgiven. And then to show that you can trust what Jesus says, that, God, that Jesus wasn't just some religious guy who said a bunch of things, that he died, and you don't know where he went. He rose again from the grave to show that when you trust in Jesus Christ, you indeed are forgiven, and you indeed have eternal life, and indeed you become a child of God. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand in this place right now. I said, give God a big hand in this place right now. And the fact that God would send his son, his only son, to die on the cross for us, that speaks to your greed far more. So that speaks to your worth, I'm sorry. That speaks to your value far more than your HSBC financial statement is going to show. That speaks to your value far more than your investment portfolio is going to show. Your worth was decided long, long time ago at the cross where Jesus died. Turn your neighbor and say, you are precious to God. 
You are precious to God. And so maybe practically speaking, trusting and worshiping and serving God and not money means I'm not going to let money define me anymore. I'm going to let the God who loves me define my worth. If you believe that, say amen. Maybe practically speaking, worshiping God, not money, means that starting this week, I'm going to tithe. You know, maybe it's one of those things where you, you haven't been tithing. You know it's probably a good thing to do, but you've never done it before. And you know, I mean, practically speaking, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to trust God that when we put him first, he'll add everything that we need. And we've seen that over and over and over again here at Thought Church. People who decided, I'm going to start putting God first in my finances. I'm going to tithe, even though maybe money is tight. Even though I'm not sure what's going to happen. Even though I'm not really sure about my cash flow. Even though what about my savings. And I just still, I'm going to still tithe. And I'm going I'm to put that first. And I'm going to let everything else fall in its place and over and over we found people finding that when they tithe and put God first God is true to his promise he they really have everything they need and often so much more if you believe us say amen and so I encourage you to learn to tithe maybe that's the way that you can practically stop worshiping money and start worshiping God that's the first thing you want to do if you want to overcome greed is decide starting a day I'm not going to worship money I'm going to worship God turn to your neighbor and say don't worship money worship God Is this helpful in this place so far? Number two, practice generosity. If you want to overcome greed, you fight it with generosity. Fact is this, is, you know, greed is one of those things that makes you think, oh, I can't give. I've got so many of my own problems. I've got, you know, all these, you know, things that I have to do. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got loans to pay off. I've got student loans. I've got all this stuff. But the fact is this, is that when you decide, I'm going to practice generosity, you give God room to work in ways that you could not yourself. And you know, we see that you know, often over and over again. But sometimes it's not even the financial reward that comes from giving that's the best part. Very often it's something that money can't buy. Let me give you an example. You know, recently I read the story of this one American family who made a commitment to support five orphans in Haiti. They decided in addition to tithing, in addition to offering, they wanted to give 100 bucks a month to these five uh, you know, orphans in Haiti to provide clothing and food and education. Because this family didn't have a whole lot. There were times when life was a little tight. And, you know, the kids sometimes had to forego getting the toys that they wanted. The kids sometimes had to ride, you know, you know like you know, the, the not-so-nice bike instead of, instead of the super-nice bike. And, and they did that for about a decade. For about nine years, they would give $100 a month, every, every single month, and they would do that faithfully. One day, the father, after nine years, he comes home and says, hey, like, my, my company is sponsoring me to go to Haiti for a business trip. And I thought, hey, guys, do you want to go and, and see these kids that we've been sponsoring? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, my company said that they'll pay for us provided that we do it the most economical way, so not first class, but we'll, we'll do like, you know, economy class, we're going to go. And so that's what they did. They, they went over, they flew over to Haiti. The next day, they rent a Jeep and they drive to the village. They told the people in advance, they told the school in advance that they're, that, that they're going to go and visit. And, and so they drive a couple hours out to the village in Haiti where these, these, these five orphans were studying and, and living. And what happened is that, you know, when, when, they got to the, the, when they got to the school, they saw five, they're, they're, they're teenagers now. And they don't have a whole lot. You can see that their clothes are a little tattered and worn. But, but they, they come up to the, this family. They, come, they actually run up to the Jeep with, and, and with tears in their eyes. They, go, they come up to the, this family and they just start to hug them and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there's a language barrier. Their English isn't great, but they just keep on hugging and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, 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 for, and over the next hour, they're just you know, spending time talking about their lives. You know, at the end of their, uh, their visit, you know, the, the, these, the, these Haitian orphans, they, 
get, they give the, the, the two kids in the American family, they give them these gifts that they made. They're these Christmas ornaments that they made from scratch. And, and, they, and, and the, the kids were so touched. On the way back, the ride back home to their hotel in Haiti, you know, the dad of this American family, he's like, guys, why are you so quiet in the back? His daughter and his son were just super quiet. Usually they're really loud. But he wasn't like, you know, what, what's wrong with you guys? Are you guys okay? And, and, and the, the, the older girl, she said, you know, dad, nothing's wrong. I was just thinking that there's nothing we could have done with our money over the last 10 years that could make us happier than we are right now. Is that the past 10 years that they spent investing $100 a month to to provide for these five, once kids now, teenagers, for them, the joy of that was so much greater than any joy that they could get from getting like another video game or getting another comic book. And they just felt so blessed that they could be part of that. Why do I share that story? It's to show you that when you are generous, on one hand, yes, you can outgive God. God will all often outgive us. But the fact is that very often the greatest reward of generosity is not financial, it's what happens in your heart. It's what happens in you. Is that you all of a sudden have a joy because you are making a difference in other people's lives through generosity, and that's something that money cannot buy. If you believe that, say amen. And in the same time, when you give generously to others, what are you doing? You're giving God room to work in your life and through your life. Not just that, when we give generously to others, what are we doing? We are following in the footsteps of our God, who is the most generous of all. We're becoming more like Jesus in our attitude, in our character, in the way we live our lives, because our God is a generous God. And the fact is this, none of us, not a single one of us, would be here today if it weren't for the generosity of others, especially the generosity of our God, if you believe that. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. You are here because someone was generous. I'm here because someone was generous. And if you can't think of anyone else, the fact is you have a generous God. Turn to me and say, you have a generous God. You have a generous God. And because you have a generous Heavenly Father, when you are generous yourself, when you respond by being generous to others, you show that you're a child of God. You show that you have the same DNA in you, that generosity DNA that lives and breathes inside the heart of God, breathes in your life as well. And you show the world that there is a God who's truly generous. If you believe us, say amen. That's why one of the best antidotes to greed is generosity. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. And I, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. It's talking about rich people. And I'm going to tell you today, regardless of what you think of your own finances, the fact is this, the fact that you're here in Vancouver, you are very rich. You are rich. Turn around and say, you are rich. And so with that in mind, because this verse is for rich people, you, and that includes all of you here, let's read verses 7, 18, 17, 18, 19. Read it with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, it says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You know, one of the things that greed will often try to make us forget is that life on earth is just preparation for eternity. That life on earth, the 70, 80, 90, God willing, 100 years that you have on this planet are not the end in itself. 
but they're actually preparing you for the billions and billions of years that you're going to have in eternity. If I had a rope, and that could illustrate it, and I had a rope that went all the way here and all the way around, all the way around the block, our lives on earth compared to eternity, our lives would be like the first little bit of that rope. Everything else would be our lives in eternity. And, and see, what, what, is, what is Paul saying to Timothy in verse 19? He says that when you're generous and you're willing to share, what do you do? In verse 19, he says, in this way, you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Could it be that the reason why you're so frustrated these days and you're so unhappy these days is because you're not practicing generosity the way that God made you to practice generosity. Maybe it's time to find a fresh way to be generous so you can experience the joy of giving today and you can store up treasure in heaven for eternity. And so with that in mind, can I give you some homework today, church? Can I give you some homework? This is for this coming week. And this is the homework, all right? Um, and uh, turn your and say, you've got homework. You've got homework. And this is the homework I want to give you. It's to practice generosity. I want you to encourage you to practice generosity in at least a couple ways. Is that this coming week, I want to encourage you and challenge you to see if you can try to pay for someone just because. Pay for someone just because. It doesn't have to be super expensive. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a coffee. Maybe it's a bus ticket. But just, just, because, just because Jesus was generous with us, be generous to someone else with no strings attached. Would you do that this coming week? Try that this week. Maybe when you're in the coffee shop. Maybe, you know, when you're at a meal, you just pay for the person that you were talking to or pay for someone that you originally were going to you know, take them out for lunch and you were going to maybe go Dutch and you were going to split it, but you say, you know, let me pay for you. It's about practicing generosity. Here's another one, uh, another homework. If you see someone on the street who obviously is in need and you have some spare change with you, give them that change. If, you, if you're not comfortable giving change, then something I do is you give food. You, you maybe have some snacks with you in the car that you keep. Or you know, maybe go and grab, like, a, like you know, maybe a, maybe, maybe a, I don't know, like a, like a, a Nutrigrain bar. And you can go and you, and, and you give that to them. What is that? That's you practicing generosity. Here's another one. When, some, when God does something great in your life, it could be this week, it could be next week, it could be sometime down the road, if you get that promotion, if a big open door opens for you and you're like so thankful, instead or in addition to just saying, God, thank you, then I want to encourage you to respond with generosity. You want to give that offering. Don't just give your tithe, but give your offering as well. By doing so, you are putting your money where your mouth is and saying, God, I am truly thankful. That is practicing generosity. If you believe that, say amen. Is that okay homework for you? Not too difficult? Doable? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, you're nodding? Good, good. It's doable? Okay, well, let's do our homework this coming week. Praise God. Finally, number three, as we end off, here's one third way of overcoming greed, and that is this, practice contentment. Practice contentment. See, greed is us wanting more and more and more while failing to appreciate what we already have. That's what greed is. It's like, this is not enough. This is not enough. This is not enough. I mean, John D. Rockefeller, he was at one time the richest man in the world. He was like the equivalent of Bill Gates or, you know, Jeff Bezos of his time. And they asked him, so how much money is enough money? They once asked him, he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. He just wanted more and more and more. Greed has this way of wanting us to have more and more and more, and then it never really satisfies. But the fact is this, contentment is the opposite. Contentment is where you are happy with what you have. You're thankful for what you have. And you don't feel you have to need to grasp for anything more because you've learned to just be content with what you have. Here's a question for you today. What is one area where you need to learn contentment? 
What is one area of your life where you need to practice contentment? How do you practice contentment? Let me end with this. There's a couple things that I do that help me with contentment. Because sometimes I get frustrated with life. Sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, oh, man, why is it this way? And sometimes I need to practice contentment. And these are a couple things that I do. First is this, choose an attitude of gratitude. We talked about this on episode one of our Take Me Higher series. And we talked about focus on the good in your life, not the poo in your life. You guys remember that? Yeah? Focus on the good, not the poo. And if you missed that, you got to go and check that message out because that's going to, I believe it's going to help you so much if you're someone who struggles with gratitude in your life. Choose an attitude of gratitude, but don't end there. Number two, realize that your life on earth is preparation for eternity. Just like we talked about. You know, the hardships that you're going through right now, the trials you're going through right now, the struggles you're going through right now, God is not allowing those in your life just to be cruel to you. It's not because God is not there, doesn't care. It's because God is using even the tough stuff in your life to train you into the person that God made you to be. God is using the tough stuff in your life to actually prepare you for eternity. Not because eternity is going to be tough if you believe in Jesus. No, it's going to be amazing. But it's so that you can store up treasure in heaven with the way you respond to your difficulties today. And so if you've got longings and desires that you're not sure are going to be fulfilled in this lifetime, you can say, God, thank you that heaven is waiting for me. Thank you that it's not just about this life. And so instead of putting all your stock in this life, in the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that you have here, God willing, instead of putting your stock in this life, store your treasure in heaven, as Jesus says. Finally, look to Jesus to satisfy you in ways that no one else can. Sometimes when I'm feeling unhappy about life, when I'm feeling discontent, you know, one thing that I'll just do, because I sometimes don't even know what else to do, is I'll just get down on my knees and I'll just pour up my heart to God. I'll say, God, this is what I'm struggling with. God, this is my issue. God, would you help me today? Somehow believing that the satisfaction I'm looking for from that thing or that person or whatever that situation is, that actually what I'm really looking for is Jesus. Maybe today the reason why you're so frustrated is because you're looking for love in all the wrong places when you should, be, you should be looking for it in Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. It's our last verse for today, so we do a great job in reading it loud with me. One, two, three, it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul's talking about how he's been in different situations in the past. He's had times when he, you know, financially had everything he needed. He's been in times when financially he felt like he was missing some stuff. But through it all, he's learned the secret of being content. And he says, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. If you are wanting to learn the secret of being content, you need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. It comes with a relationship with him and drawing close to him, not just by name, not just intellectually having a relationship with him that way, nominally, you know, abstract-wise, but a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. If you learn something.